Our Old Testament reading is from Exodus 23, beginning to read at verse 10, and you can find it on page 78 of your church Bibles. So it's Exodus 23, verse 10. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unploughed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household and the foreigner among you as well may be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv. For in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And if you're able, can you please stand for our... uh, Gospel, which is Luke 10, beginning to read at verse 16, and that can be found on page 986. So it's Luke 12, verse 16. It's there about the parable of the rich fool, which I'm sure we're all very familiar with. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourselves, yourself? This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow, they do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, 
do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Lord, may the words that I speak this morning come only from you. Open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us here in this place. Amen. So, what is Harvest about? I asked my five-year-old, and her answer was, it's about saying thank you for the crops and giving food to churches. It's a pretty good answer, isn't it? Harvest Festival used to be celebrated at the beginning of the harvest season, on the 1st of August. And it was called La Mass, meaning loaf mass. And farmers made loaves of bread from the new wheat crop and gave them to their local church. They were then used as the communion bread during a special mass, mass to say thank you to God for the harvest. This custom came to an end when Henry VIII broke away from the Catholic Church. And today, we instead have harvest at the end of the season. And this is because of Reverend Robert Hawker, who in 1843 invited his parishioners to a special Thanksgiving service for the harvest at his church in Cornwall. I wonder if he had realized that he was starting something like that when he did that in his church. That's food for thought, isn't it? Pardon the pun. Our reading from Exodus this morning began by talking about the Sabbath laws. And I imagine we are all quite familiar with the idea of the Sabbath, six days to work, and the seventh, seventh day as a holy day and a day of rest. But perhaps we are less familiar with the idea suggested in this morning's reading of six years to sow the fields and harvest crops, and the seventh year to leave the land as it is, so that the fields themselves can have a Sabbath. Interesting. Interestingly, for those who like to consider the practical details of these things, the IVP Bible background commentary on the Old Testament says it's most likely that Israelite farmers set aside as fallow one-seventh of their fields each year, rather than leaving all their land fallow for an entire year. But nonetheless, there was a custom to do just this, so that the poor and the animals could eat from the field during that year. And the second part of our Exodus reading referred to the three annual festivals. The festival of unleavened bread, the festival of the harvest, and the festival of the ingathering. The festival of unleavened bread is one of remembrance that was intended to remind Israel of their deliverance out of Egypt. Both the festival of harvest and the festival of ingathering were celebrations, feasts of thanksgiving for God's provision. One commentary that I read described harvest as the feast that redeems the ordinary. It reminded Israel not of a miraculous exodus, but rather of the daily provision of God. And this is, of course, a miracle as well, isn't it? Just because it's a daily occurrence, we don't always see that, do we? The feast of the harvest reminded Israel that God is always providing for them, caring for them, and causing the earth itself to offer them sustenance. But do we perhaps sometimes forget that God is providing for us? Are we guilty sometimes of thinking that we can provide for ourselves? The idea of the Sabbath is about breaking from the routine of work. It is about resting 
It's about reminding ourselves to focus back on God. God is our provider. The world carries on even when we are not busy working. And sometimes we forget that, don't we? The first part of today's gospel reading is commonly known by the title, The Parable of the Rich Fool. And it led me to think about how we define rich in society today. I had a look on the internet and I stumbled across 10 signs that somebody might be rich. And these signs ranged from they dress in designer clothing to, wait for this one, they have a driving range in their attic. (laughs) And they eat at restaurants where prices aren't listed on the menu on a Tuesday. Being rich is sadly something that all too often we aspire to. Our society is quite obsessed with money, with gaining wealth, with being able to retire early, with dressing in designer clothing, driving flashy Range Rovers. You just have to watch a few adverts on TV to appreciate that as a society, we are obsessed with acquiring material possessions. And more often than not, we are focused on our image and the impact of those material possessions on our lives, and sometimes worryingly, on who we are. You don't have to look far to find somebody who would fit the description of the rich fool, or indeed to find some of those traits within ourselves. But being rich according to societal norms and being rich before God are entirely different things. Today's readings are a challenge For me, they raise a number of questions, but I have managed to whittle it down to three questions. Do we forget or remit to allow time to rest and to trust that God will provide? Do we have a tendency to store things up for ourselves? Do we worry about what we'll eat or what we'll wear instead of focusing on God? And I think if we're honest, we will all have answered yes somewhere in there. Storing up of things is something we do really well. I remember when my grandmother died sorting through her flat and just thinking, why did she keep so many things? Tins and tins of food, sugar sachets, that one's hard to say, butter from cafes that she used to put in her handbag just just in case. (laughs) And I look around my own house and I think, we have so much stuff. And then before I know it, there's more stuff because it's someone's birthday and they've been given something else. Or maybe one of us hasn't been able to resist the bargain in the shops. Often our eagerness to store things up is because of a fear of being without. Now, my grandmother was born in 1920 and so lived through the rationing of the Second World War, worrying about not having enough. And often there are times in all of our lives when money is a bit tight and we go without, which means that if we're not careful, our response when we can afford things is to excessively stock up or to overindulge ourselves. And I'm afraid I'm about to mention the C word. That's right, Christmas. Can I have the picture on the screen, please? So you will have most likely noticed that we already have Christmas aisles in the shops. And you might have seen that Home Home Bargains has outdone themselves with glitter and brightly coloured plastic this year. If my two-year-old had had her way, then I would have left the shop with a tinsel-covered giant candy cane the other day. (laughs) 
Marks and Spencers is a bit more subtle, of course, with a rather posh-looking Christmas food order brochure when you walk in. And if you spend £85 on food before mid-November, then you can get a free bottle of wine. I'm not trying to encourage you all to dash up to M&S after the service, by the way. Instead, I want to point out that we live in a society where we are actively encouraged to stock up, to buy food, to fill our cupboards in preparation. We are greeted with incentives and early bird offers that convince us to buy things long in advance of when we actually need them. And most of the time, we're convinced to buy stuff we don't even need at all. So today we are celebrating harvest. We are giving thanks to God for providing for us. We have brought food as a gift for those who need it. But I wonder how many of us have already started storing food away for Christmas. There must be a few people at least who have a packet of mince pies in a cupboard somewhere. I won't ask you to own up. And we do it every year. Next picture, please. We fall victim to the advertising, the sales pitches, and some of us end up with so much food in our houses that we don't know where to put it. I know of people who have an additional fridge or freezer that is mainly used at Christmas time. And how is this different from the rich man who wants to build a bigger storehouse? We have kitchens designed to store more food so that there is always something in the back of our cupboards. How can we say that we are trusting in God to provide while spilling our cupboards and building bigger cupboards to hide all the stuff that we're buying? It's a challenge, isn't it? And one I'm not sure I have the answer to. As Christians, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. But do we always trust that God will provide everything we need? Instead, I think we are guilty of wanting to put our own plans in place and of our wants and often our greed getting in the way of what God knows that we need. Now, anyone who has spoken to me since I got back from Natalie Supernatural or NSM will have heard me mention it maybe just a few times. One of the amazing things about NSM was how much of God I experienced in worship. It felt like there was a glimpse of heaven, of the kingdom in worship and in the way that people came together and related to one another. I think the rain helped this. We were in tents and spent most of the time soaking wet. And when you're in that sort of situation, you don't focus on your outer appearance or what you are eating, only that you need clothes for warmth and to keep you dry, and you need food for energy. When your focus is sleep, food, being warm and dry, and then going to two, three-hour meetings a day and worshipping, it strips you back from your normal day-to-day -day existence. It feels removed from the world. I'd love to go back and stay there. And I know that others feel the same. But that's not the point of an event like that. The point is glimpsing the kingdom, experiencing that feeling of basking in his presence and going and sharing that story. Sharing those God moments with everyone. We're called to not store up our material possessions and to shift the focus from things to God. And in doing that, we can experience the kingdom of God and we will be provided for by our God who knows what we need. Before I went on that trip, I would have thought I needed a proper bed, my mobile phone to be permanently charged, my hair straighteners or specific clothes. I did actually really need wellies, that part was true. 
God wants us to rely on him and focus on him. Our desire for the material is a distraction from doing that. The Beatitudes in Luke, and I will refer just to the ones in Luke rather than Matthew as they're in Luke's gospel. They say, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But they also say, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. We can view the Beatitudes in something called a chiastic structure. I have the picture on the screen. Oh, next one, sorry. Next one, please. Thank you. And simply put, the chiastic structure means they have been paired in opposites. And there we can see clearly the direct contrast from the humble life of someone who is poor to the extravagant life of a rich person. We should all be striving for, for humility, shouldn't we? In fact, the interesting thing about this diagram is we can see that to be on the blessed side, we are pretty much shunned by society. As Christians, we are called to put ourselves out of our comfort zones. And that could be about being the unpopular voice or about making sacrifices. But we can step out and do this knowing that God is with us. The subtitle in the NIV version for the second part of today's gospel is Do Not Worry. And almost every time I read that, I think that's great, but how? I can't be alone there, right? The message version gives the subtitle, Steep Yourself in God Reality. I really like that instruction. That sounds more like something I can do. And the word worry is substituted for fuss. It changes the sense of it a little bit. And it helps us to understand Jesus' talking about not preoccupying ourselves with things that really shouldn't be significant. That often quoted line, line 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life, is instead translated in the message version as, has anyone by fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? We have a God who loves us deeply and who will provide for us. But his provision is not about preening the appearance of our mortal bodies. God won't always provide what we want, but always what we need. I'll read you the last few verses of the message translation of our reading. They are as follows. What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. Not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. God's initiative is probably what it took to start celebrating harvest, as Reverend Robert Hawker, Robert Hawker did back in 1843. And our response to God's giving can be giving thanks, and it can be reaching out and taking a risk. Whilst I've spent time today talking about the pitfalls that we can find ourselves in, 
We also live in a society that values kindness and generosity. The problem is that these acts of kindness and generosity are currently headline-worthy. And if they are headline-worthy, then they are too few and too far between. Our local food bank is doing a fantastic job, and I know people here volunteer and help out there. I also know that I rarely remember to put stuff in the food bank bin, and I need to try and do that more. There are so many charities working hard to share the gospel message of love. Pay It Forward is a great scheme that exists in many of our local independent cafes. Essentially, you buy a coffee or a meal and you pay for another one for someone else who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it. Can I have the next picture on the screen, please? I saw this on Facebook yesterday. It's a message of thanks from Canterbury Food Bank for the owner of a cafe who has provided vouchers to food bank users and volunteers so that they can get a coffee and a sandwich for free. When you look around at things like that, we can see God at work. God is at work when we see kindness and generosity of spirit, but we need to see more of it, which means we need to get out there and do more of it. One of the things that we want to do as a church is get closer to the community. We want to find ways to bring people to know God. And to do that, we have to reach out. We have to take risks. We have to put ourselves outside of our comfort zones and step outside of our bubbles. As Paulette said again last week, what goes on in here is for out there. And a good way to do that is through acts of kindness. We can trust that God will meet all of our everyday human concerns. So on this day, when we are celebrating harvest, let's give thanks for God's provision, but let's also reflect on how we can reach out and make a difference, safe in the knowledge that God is providing for our needs. Amen.